0: Let me open us up in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we, we just come to you with uh, open arms, Lord. Vulnerable and uh, feeling uh, sorrowful and a bit helpless on a morning like this where we say goodbye uh, to a dear, dear friend. And yet, Lord, uh, we know that We're only saying goodbye in this life, and so the sorrow that we have and that we will continue to feel throughout these weeks and months, that it will be short-lived and that it will end in a much more beautiful thing, that we, by faith in Jesus Christ, will join Carolyn and all those who have gone before us on the last day. And we can't wait for that day, Lord. We ask you, Jesus, to come quickly and hasten that day. Meanwhile, Lord, build us up here on this earth. Help us to see with your eyes. Help us to learn and to grow and to bind ourselves together in faith, in hope, and in love. I thank you for this church. I thank you for its heritage. You have guided her, Lord, and we pray, God, that you would guide her many, many more years into this future and help us to follow in the footsteps of Carolyn and others like her that have walked a good walk. So we love you, Lord. We pray now that you would minister to us as only you can. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. The amount of chatter... The amount of chatter had spiked to unforeseen levels and the intelligence community was scrambling to keep up. What had been a mid-level case file was now the number one national security threat. They knew what they were looking for. They were looking for a man and a woman of Middle Eastern descent, approximately 20 years of age. They knew which city was the target and they had details that the payload while small was powerful enough to engulf the city and the surrounding region, but they had no idea where they were or how close they were to their target. Then suddenly out of nowhere, they received a tip unbeknownst to them, there were other foreign operatives that had been tracking the couple's movements. They didn't have their exact location, but they had narrowed it down to a town just outside the capital. As the nation's leader received a briefing on this new development, this new tip, an advisor walked in with a somber look on his face. The story has been leaked to the press, sir, he said. As if a terrorist attack wasn't enough to deal with, the nation's leader now had to deal with the fear and the panic that was about to grip the general public. He could feel his blood pressure rising. And with a locked jaw, he stared at his advisors and closed the briefing with the clearest of directives. Find them now. Hours passed. The intelligence community worked their sources around the clock while news reports ran wild with speculation. Then the hours turned into agonizing days. The public outcry kept rising and rising. Some had fled the city while others stuck it out, paralyzed with fear. The nation's leader sat alone at his desk waiting for the next briefing, and in came his advisors. Good evening, sir, said the director of intelligence. Tell me you've got something. I'm sorry, sir. We have absolutely nothing. Are you serious? I'm sorry, sir. Well, haven't you got something, something from the foreign operatives? Sir, we've lost contact with them. What are you talking about? Sir, they were supposed to brief us yesterday, but they missed the appointment. Our agents can't find them. It appears they've gone dark. We may have been played, sir. They may have been double agents. Just then the military advisor chimed in he chimed in with three words it's time sir the nation's leader knew what that meant from the beginning his military advisor had urged him to declare martial law send in the army cut off access to the town No one gets in. No one gets out. Sweep every residence and every commercial building. Intern and interrogate any suspicious persons, especially those that fit the terrorist profile. Locate the payload and neutralize it on site. The military advisor continued his plea. If they are double agents, then we can't wait any longer. My men are ready. We can do this. Just give the order. We'll find them. We will restore order. We will end this threat. Matthew 2.16 Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, The double agents was exceedingly angry and he sent forth martial law and he put to death all the male children, the potential payloads who were in Bethlehem and in all of its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined From the wise men. The title of uh, this message, uh, first part of a two-part series with Pastor Tom and I, who will speak next week, is A Terrorist Attack and a Refugee Crisis, The Story of Christmas, part one of two. A refugee, a a terrorist attack and a refugee crisis, The Story of Christmas, from Matthew two. From the eyes of Herod and from the eyes of the general public of Israel who were very comfortable with the status quo, the news that a new king of the Jews was about to be born would have been received like news of an imminent terrorist attack just outside of Jerusalem. Such news would have struck an immediate nerve of panic and fear. How do we know this? Because the scriptures describe this very thing in Matthew chapter 2. Take a look at Matthew 2, beginning in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Do you see the two very, very different reactions in this text? On the one hand, you have the wise men who are welling up with worship. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east. We have come to worship him. On the other hand, you have Herod and much of Israel welling up with fear. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. The word troubled there, terrazzo in Greek, means to be disturbed, to be upset, to be terrified, to be fearful. I think we understand, knowing the Christmas story as well as we do, I think we understand why Herod would have been troubled and frightened, terrorized, if you will, by the prospect of the birth of the king of the Jews. For his throne and his land was at stake. His rule was at stake. His reign. We understand why Herod would be troubled, Tarazo. But why all Jerusalem with him? You ever notice that in the Christmas story? That it wasn't just Herod and his minions who were troubled? Who were terrorized by this fact? But rather, all of Jerusalem with him? Why were the Jews fearful too? Did they like Herod? Did they like being governed by Herod? Of course not. But neither did they like revolution. The Jews were well acquainted with what happens when so-called messiahs enter the scene in Jerusalem. We don't have time to go through the history, uh, Jewish history of this day and age. But make no mistake, as uh, Pastor and Tom and I were talking and preparing for these couple messages, we spoke um, about the history of Israel and leading up into this point and how many times so called messiahs arrived on scene, rising up revolutionaries with them, rising up, stirring up the city, and yet how many times the Roman rulers and the the prefects and the tetrarchs of Galilee and Judea had to put down, put down, put down these revolutions that rose up. Pastor Tom remarked this, and I wanted to quote him on it. It was a great quote. He says, overthrowing kings means political instability, war, deprivation, religious violence, confusion, and fear. And he's writing from the perspective of the first century Jew here. And he says, whatever aspects of the status quo we, the first century Jews, consider to be substandard, the status quo is at least a known quantity. It's comfortable. Jesus' arrival threatens that precarious balance. And so the rational response then is to locate and to eliminate the threat, which is exactly what Herod tries to to do. Notice the words in bold by Pastor Tom. He says it's the rational response. Think about those words for a moment. In hindsight, we we read the Christmas story and we look back and we go, we go, Herod, how could you? How could you not see? How could you not see that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, we 2,000 years removed look back at Herod and, and, and fault him for his miscalculation. We read what Herod did and we cringe. But what if you were Herod? What if you were the king of the Jews? What if you were in charge while there was repeated Religious insurrection and rebellion time and again in your nation. Revolutionaries calling for your demise and for the demise of the Roman Empire, whipping up large swaths of the public into a frenzy each and every time. What would be your rational response? Would you not neutralize the threat Each and every time you saw it coming? Of course you would. That would be the rational response. It's ironic and perhaps providential that we're starting to live in this kind of world again. A sizable, though small, but a sizable religious minority is starting to do things in our world and in our nation that make us terrazzo, terrified, frightened. Chatter is rising. Threat assessment levels are going up with it. Our intelligence community is scrambling. They've already hit us a number of times and virtually everyone expects another attack. What is the rational response? Well, the rational response is the way of Herod. Find the terrorists and neutralize the threat. The rational response is the way of Herod. Find the terrorists, neutralize the threat. But I wonder, we wonder, is this the only response? Is this the only lens through which we are to look at our world through the lens of Herod and those like him. There are differences to be sure. So we look at the Christmas story, we know that in hindsight, Herod made a serious miscalculation. Oh, Jesus, Jesus was a threat to be sure. In fact, in a manner of speaking, We might say that Jesus' birth was like a terrorist attack on Israel, but not in the traditional sense of what you and I consider terrorism. You and I look at terrorism as premeditated mass destruction, murder, hostage-taking for the purpose of influencing or coercing civilian populations or government leaders. Jesus came to destroy and to take hostages too. But he sought to destroy and terrorize a very different kind of population. Take a look at Colossians chapter 2. And you, being dead in your trespasses, he made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, having nailed it to the cross having disarmed principalities and powers, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Jesus came to destroy and to take hostages, but to a very different kind of population. Jesus came and brought terror to Satan and to his legion of demons. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 23. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked this demon saying, be quiet and come out of this man. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, who is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And immediately Immediately, Jesus' fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. We view terrorism as the premeditated mass destruction, murder, hostage taking, in such a way that it, that it influences, coerces the population government leaders. It's interesting how much, if we look at Colossians 2, verses 11 to 15, as we look at Mark 1 and other situations like them, it's interesting the kind of terror that the demons and the unclean spirits felt in Jesus' presence, they knew He was coming to destroy them. They knew that by His birth, by his life, by his death and by his resurrection, he was coming to do something to them. They would harm them to the uttermost and harm their cause. With respect, with respect to the realm of evil principalities and powers, Jesus came as a terrorist. In his presence, their power is neutralized. Because of his life, his death, his resurrection, their days are numbered. Amen? I don't think we believe that sometimes. Um with respect to the realm of evil principalities and powers. And by the way, Paul says later in Ephesians 6, that's precisely our battle, by the way. That's precisely our battle. We do not wage war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. That's what Paul says. And the New Testament, Colossians 2, Mark 1, and those like it, tell us, that when Jesus came with respect to evil principalities and powers, he came to terrorize them, to inflict fear in them, to show them that they will not win this battle. That's what terrorists do. In our world, they inflict fear. They inflict chaos. We see a terrorist attack and we immediately we are gripped with fear, right? That's how Satan feels. That's how his minions feel. With Jesus on scene. How powerful is that knowledge for us? The enemy as strong as he is. As rampant as he's been. In sickness and in death. And in, and in taking loved ones too early. And in all the, the pain that he's inflicted upon our world. He cowers. He cowers. At the name of Jesus. And in his presence. We don't need to live in fear. Satan does. The enemies of God do. With respect to the realm of evil principalities and powers, Jesus was a terrorist to them. And is. In his presence, their powers neutralized. His life, his death, his resurrection proves their days are numbered. But with respect to the realm of mankind... Jesus came as a savior. He came to influence civilian populations and government leaders. But he didn't blow himself up in order to prove his point. Instead, he offered himself up freely for the whole world. What a contrast. What a contrast. We live in a world now where people want to inflict fear in us and in in civilian populations and governments across the world by blowing themselves up, by committing acts of terror. Jesus took all of that and directed it toward its source, toward Satan and toward all those who rise up and who, who influence and who inspire all of these evil acts. And yet with respect to mankind, with respect to men, women, and children, with respect to all those that God created whom he loves deeply, who turned against him and yet he kept walking their way. Jesus looked at us who were once dead in our trespasses and sins and he came not to inflict fear in us like some of the other false gods demand in this world. Jesus came as our savior, not to coerce us, but to draw us to himself to offer himself up freely for the entire world. He himself is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but the sins of the whole world. Herod made, Herod made a serious miscalculation. Herod made a serious miscalculation. Jesus was a threat, but he wasn't a threat to him. Had Herod eyes to see, he would have known that Jesus wasn't coming to destroy him, but to save him. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till Jesus appeared and the soul felt its worth. As we navigate a very difficult season in our world, a world often gripped, with fear and terror, um, I myself uh, fall prey into uh, living in that lens. I watch the news. I experience it like you do. I, I, I fear. I uh, we we walk and traverse this world, and and it seems time and again uh, there's pain, there's difficulty. Um, We experienced it this morning as we grieve the loss of Carolyn. As we navigate a very difficult season in our world and in our lives, a world that's often gripped with fear and with terror. As we near the end of 2015, go ahead and pull this up, Joyce. As we near the end of 2015, we are confronted by all these crises, terror, refugees, Immigration, there's so much more that could be said there. I'm asking the question, what are we to see in these? What are we to see as we walk through this life right now? Are we only looking through the lens of Herod? Herod had such a myopic view in the Christmas story. All he could see was through this one lens, this one lens of fear, this one lens of pain, This one lens of holding on to power and to the status quo and to the the regular of life at all costs. This Advent season, this Advent season, how can we lift up our eyes? How can we look through a different lens? A lens like the Magi did 2,000 years ago. A group of wise men who given the same set of circumstances, did not fear, but instead lifted their eyes up and looked for a reason, to worship God. The world, we already know how the world's going to respond. The world will respond in fear. And many of us will fall prey to that. The world will respond in fear. How can we respond? With greater faith, hope, and love. Herod is not the only lens through which to view uh, the current conflicts between the West, radical Islam. Matthew 2 and the Magi in particular invite us to look at the world through another lens. Two very different ways of seeing the world. On the one hand, wise men earnestly desiring to locate Christ. So they could offer him gifts and worship. On the other hand, Herod also earnestly desiring to locate Christ, but for very different reasons. He didn't wish to worship him. He wished to kill him. He wished to find the payload and to neutralize the threat to his throne and to his land. Herod was desperate to be safe, to hold on to the status quo. So he convened a meeting with his intelligence officials, the chief priests, and the scribes, and they made plans for what to do about this terrorist threat. Pastor Tom is going to come next week with, um, I think, the, the the big thrust of where we're going here. Um, I want to lay just a brief table this morning. I, uh, I want to lay down a brief primer for us in asking us the question, um, what lens are you looking at the world? you looking at it just from a political lens? Are you looking at it from a safety lens? I want to be safe. I want to be safe. Are you looking at it through a, a political lens, a, a, a desire to... to uh, to win uh, politically? You're looking at it through a, a, as, as a, a clash of civilizations where the West has to win this one? What lens are you looking at the world through? Has your lens ever been adjusted? Have you ever had it adjusted? Such that you can look at these conflicts, look at these fears, look at these difficulties, and lift up those eyes a little bit higher and ask the Lord, Lord, what are you doing? Is there a way for me to worship you in the midst of this world, in the midst of these threats and fears? Next week, uh, Pastor Tom, we've mentioned uh, the the title of this message, uh, A Terrorist Attack and a Refugee Crisis the story of Christmas. Uh, Next week, Pastor Tom is going to speak to the refugee crisis uh, that is happening around the world. He's going to draw parallels uh, between what is happening in our world and, ironically, what happens in Matthew chapter two, in which it is said, Matthew chapter two, beginning in verse 13. Now, when they departed, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. And Pastor Tom and I have had a lot of conversations about what's happening in our world um, and about what's happening with respect to terrorism, with respect to the refugee crisis, and tying it into the story of Christmas. And I, I want to challenge you, as you come next week, I want to challenge you to, to come with a new lens. To come with a lens that um, is inspired by the lens of the Magi 2,000 years ago. Faced with um, a, a situation where it may not be safe, faced with a situation where uh, things might get a little chaotic. You know, Herod looked at it. The wise men looked at the same situation, the same set of circumstances. One man responded in fear. Another group of men responded and looked for ways to worship God in the midst of it. As we come next week, as we consider Jesus, who himself was um, a refugee from a very young age. Let's be ready to ask God how we can respond in the way that he would have us this Advent season. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, we, uh, I know for me, Father, uh, this is a, a very unique time of year. A time of year in which uh, we often ha- have expectations, God, of... of of how a Christmas uh, sermon or series is to go. We, we like it nice and neat. We like uh, to be comfortable, Lord. We know the, the songs, the Christmas songs. We, we know the story. We like the traditions of it all. We like the status quo, Lord. And yet, you, Lord, the sending of your Son, it disrupted everything. An Advent should be a time, as it was 2,000 years ago, it should be a time of great disruption. A time in which our hearts are stirred. A time in which we look at our world and ask God, how can we look at this differently? How can we look at this through your eyes? How can we both want and desire safety and, and protection and yet at the same time, God, ask ourselves, what are you doing and what would you have us do? And we know, Lord, that it's dangerous to ask that question. And so I, I just, this morning, I just, I want to pray for for our church. I want to pray for our people. I want to pray for our elders, for Pastor Tom and I as we speak to this issue and, and for all of our hearts as we receive and consider these things. We need to do better, Father, with how we live and witness in this world. And I pray, God, this Christmas season, as we hear the stories again, uh, stories that ironically uh, speak to issues of terrorism and ironically speak to issues of of refugees, God, I, I pray that we would find in it a very, very unique and powerful Christmas story that would move us, that would shake us, that would stir our hearts. We entrust this to you, God. We ask you to lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.